0: Uh, we are in a series on making disciples, and we examined the root and foundation of that discipleship, which is grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. And then we looked at the hope that God has given us in his promises, and he's given us those promises because he loves us. And so our response is to trust him, that is what faith is, and then to obey him and do what he says. Which brings us to our confession, which is lordship, uh, our lordship to God through Jesus, because we are his creation and we are his redeemed. Uh, So that confession of lordship involves not only trust, but obedience that grows out of that trust. But that obedience, as we saw, is a struggle because we battle against the flesh, against the world, the culture around us, and the devil, the spiritual warfare. And that struggle is a lifelong struggle. Uh, But we are helped by the word of God and the spirit of God, which he has given to us that we can endure. So last week we looked at the three great commandments. I talked about loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving one another. Those three commandments upon which all the other commandments are connected. And that what ultimately the loving God does is bring us into holiness Uh, Loving our neighbor causes us to act in righteousness, and the loving one another causes us to be in unity, and that's the sign of our discipleship. Now, I can't go through all 613 commandments of the Old Testament, uh, or the hundreds added and repeated in the New Testament, but we can get a clearer understanding of these three great commandments if we look at the Ten Commandments, and then an addition that that um, I put together a few years ago. So we're going to begin at Deuteronomy chapter 13. And I know this is a repeat for most of us, but it is good for us to have it uh, rehearsed again and reminded. And of course, we want to think about how we apply this to our children and our grandchildren in in the process of their discipleship. So, in uh, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, uh, verse 18, he has been talking to them about prophets, false prophets, and others who are walking away from the Lord and teaching them to follow other gods. And he basically says that uh, if this happens, you will remove those people or you will correct them. And then in verse 17, he says... Nothing from that which is under the band shall cling to your hand in order that the Lord may turn from his burning anger and show mercy to you and have compassion on you and make you increase just as he has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God keeping all his commandments which I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of your God. So this notion is that God has given the commandments as his will. They are not given to save anybody. No commandment can save. No commandment was ever given to be saved. The commandments were given to those who are the people of God. Those who are saved and in the process of salvation. For them to know his will and how they are to live. Now in that context... The Apostle Paul gives us some instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to look at that beginning at verse 17 to 21. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17, uh, Paul says these words. Now this Corinthian congregation is both Jews and Gentiles. This is important for us to understand some nuances related to the commandments. And so he says this. Only, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. That would include the Disciple Center. Was any man called when he was already circumcised, he is not to become uncircumcised. If God called you to him as a Jewish person under circumcision and the covenants, You are not to become a Gentile when you come to the Lord. Uh, If one has been called in uncircumcision, he says, he is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each one must remain in the condition in which they were called. Were you called a slave? Don't worry about it. If you are able to be free, do that. But the one who is called to the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, the one who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. Now, This is an important text because Paul is talking about keeping the commandments of God. And the commandments of God are somewhat different if you're bond or free, if you're male or female, if you're Jew or Gentile. And and the calling to Christ does not care whether you're Jew or Gentile, bond or free uh, or male or female, in Christ we all have access to God. But in the following of the commandments, those categories matter. And we are to follow him in the commandments based on what we are in that calling. And that's that's really his point there. A lot of people get the idea that the commandments are uh, to be handled by everybody equally. And so the kosher laws that God gives to Israel, He does not give to the Gentiles, though there are adaptations of that that we see in the New Testament. Uh, And we're going to look a little bit at, at some of that today. But what Paul's saying is what's important is you keep the commandments. Now, there are specific commandments related to Jewish identity, to gender, and to role. And they were addressed by the apostles and elders in the first council in Jerusalem. And so what happened is there were uh, Pharisees who were believers. They were keeping the commandments as they understood them. And they said, you know these Gentiles who are coming to the Lord, they have to do all the things that we do. And Paul said, no, particularly not circumcision. And he writes Galatians to say, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, you've got a whole lot of other things you've got to do. Not to be saved, but because you are now Jewish. So there is a distinction in those commandments. Uh, and there are those that pertain to all of us. And those who pertain uniquely to Jews. Those who pertain uniquely to Levites. Those who pertain uniquely to the high priest. Don't, not all the commandments are given to everybody. And so Paul says keeping the commandments is important. But you keep the ones... That are based on who you are in your calling to Christ uh, in that status. So with that in mind, I want to talk about loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving one another. In the context of where these things are addressed in our Gentile context as we see them in the writings of the New Testament. We're going to begin that by looking at the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words found in Exodus chapter 20. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 20. So after we teach our children the basic commandments, love God, love your neighbor, love one another. How do we love God with all our mind, all our life, all our strength? Uh, How do we love our neighbor as ourself? How do we love one another Uh, as the Lord has loved us? Then what do we do beyond that? How are those expressed in actual behaviors? Well, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. They are, if you will, the chapter headings for all of the commandments. And I believe that the first five commandments are connected to the loving the Lord your God. The second five commandments are connected to loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'll get to the love one another uh, after that. So let's look at chapter 20 of Exodus, then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now what does that mean? I'm the one who saved you. This is being spoken to people who have been delivered and saved by the lamb, the Passover lamb, and so they are his people and this is how his commandment is for them to live. So he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or of any likeness of which is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He's talking about those who continue to hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished, who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or the sojourner who stays with you. There's that, the Gentile who's staying with Israel. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, uh, the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Well, oh, I'll get to those later. Let me get the first ones. Well, I've got to read that one. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So we've done the first 12 verses. Now, I believe that those commandments are categories of commandments. So it's not just you just keep those commandments, but there are things that, are, uh, that underlie uh, those commandments and we will see those in the way that the apostles uh, and in some cases the prophets uh, explain them. So uh, no other God. I'm the Lord who saved you. I'm the Lord who redeemed you. I'm the Lord who created you. You shall have no other God's before me. That word before me can be translated in my presence. I love that. Where is God not present? Okay? In other words, there I am the Lord you will deal with. You will not deal with other gods. Now that's important. How do we address that ourselves? Well turn with me to first Corinthians chapter eight. And again you'll see why we went through the two Corinthian books so much. Uh, before I did this series, uh, because uh, Paul addresses almost all of this discipleship stuff in the Corinthian letters. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on the earth, or indeed there are many gods and many lords, people have them, Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Now he's going to go on and say that knowledge isn't in everyone, but it is in us. We have come to the Lord, we are to... Not have another God, and that means we're to be identified with the Lord. I am Kadosh, you shall be Kadosh. I am holy, you shall be holy. We are identified with that God. So, Paul is affirming that we have no other God. There may be other gods that people claim, there may be other lords that people name, but for us, there is one God, and we will have no other God. Now, related to that, and depending on whether you're Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, or Jewish, these commandments, the first one, is kind of adjusted as to what's the first and what's the second one. Uh, Is the first one just, I'm the Lord, or is the first one, you shall not make an idol, because it's all of that. I don't want to get into that. I'm going to treat the first one as there is one God. The second one is, you shall not make an idol. Now, This notion is almost all of the other uh, cultures make an image of their God and that image sits in the temple where their God is. And there is no image of God made by Judaism There is no image of God made by Christianity in that sense. Even Islam doesn't do that. There are images of angels. There are images of the ark, but but not the God. I love that story uh, in the uh, uh, book of uh, Judges. um, Is it Judges or Samuel? I've been in both of them lately. Where the ark is stolen and the Philistines get it. and They put it in the house of Dagon. So what they do is they basically put it in front of the God. And the next morning, that God is bowed down in front of it. And they prop him back up, right? And uh, the next day, he's down and he's lost his arms and his, his head is just his torso's there, right? Uh, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. The prophets mock these idols because that's not God. You can't make something that's like God. So God says don't make an image of anything in heaven or on the earth or under the earth to, to, uh, to worship it. Because what you're doing is you're, you're going to make me jealous. The way I explain it in class she usually is if, if Linda was going through my phone or my wallet and she saw a picture of some woman uh, and uh, she said, who's this? And I said, it's you. And she said, that's not me. And I said, well, but it's how I think of you. Then she's going to go, oh, that's wonderful, right? <laughs> no, I'm going to be dead before sundown, right? Because the jealousy of, that's not me, right? We don't make an image of God because God's not like anything on earth or in heaven or under the earth or in the seas, in that, in, as that text says. So we are to avoid idolatry. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul addresses that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25. Now, in the ancient world, almost all food was sacrificed to a god. In fact, there is an Old Testament story where the children of Israel are going after the tribe of Benjamin. You may know this story. Uh, They were eating the food with the blood. In other words, they weren't doing... If you're not sacrificing the food to God, you must remove the blood. Because then it's not a sacrifice. It's just food. And and the tribe of Benjamin was just doing that. And so they were coming after them. And they were coming after them because they were not eating uh, correctly in that, in that sense. So... Uh, we live in a world where there is some things sacrificed to idols, but the vast majority of things are not sacrificed to idols. But in that early time of Christianity, they were struggling with this. So Paul says, um, "...eat what is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For all the earth is the Lord's and all it contains." But if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. When somebody brings up the issue of the idol, now we must avoid that. Okay? We know an idol is nothing. We know it's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone, so we don't care. But when they say it, now they're thinking religiously we must separate ourselves from that framework. He says, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give? He says, Whatever then you do, eat or drink whatever you do, do to the glory of God giving no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, we are to think about this. Now, notice that while this is about identification with God, it also has some implications for how we treat our neighbor and how we treat one another. Uh, These are not completely isolated categories. So, Paul talks about the issue of idolatry uh, in, in our New Testament writings as well. Now the third commandment is you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. Carrying God's name in vain is not about speech. It's not about how we talk. It's about how we act. This word carrying the name is very much the concept that happens when a woman marries a man. And now her name is changed to his name. She carries Carries his name. She bears his name. So, again, as I try to explain this in class, when Linda made that fatal uh, mistake of walking down the aisle, as Linda Madala and said, I do, she went away as Linda Stokes. She bears my name. Now, if she didn't relate to me, if she left the ceremony and went her way, and just went everywhere saying, hi, I'm Mrs. Stokes, I would say, hey, lady, you're bearing my name in vain. Because to bear my name means that we're now in relationship. And that relationship needs to be manifest. So what is a person who bears God's name in vain doing? They're claiming to belong to God, but they're acting like they belong to themselves. That's bearing God's name in vain. And he says he will not leave you unpunished if you bear his name in vain. Now, we're going to look at the prophets for this one. Ezekiel chapter 36. And again, I'm just trying to give you samples. Because there are so many commandments and explanations of this. But it gives you a way of uh, looking at it to realize that we need to unfold uh, these things. So in Ezekiel 36, verse 19, we are, we are told this. Uh, I scattered them among the nations... And they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where, where they went, they profaned my, my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of the land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, where they went. Now Paul talks about this too, Corinthians. We're not gonna jump there, but he he says the the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because what happens is when we bear the name of God and we act inappropriately, God gets the blame. His name is besmirched in that in that sense. So it's important that we bear God's name correctly. The the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath. Uh, this clearly refers to all of the holy days in that context. And we could go to Leviticus uh, 23 for that. But I want to go to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 uh, beginning at verse 6. God says to the stranger, the Gentile, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the people's. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Now, this congregation is aware of the Sabbath. We observe the Sabbath often in our homes. We observe the Sabbath as a congregation in that sense. When when Paul wrote and the apostles were writing, virtually all believers were worshiping on the Sabbath. probably. On the evening at the end of the Sabbath, around the time of the Havdalah, they would end the Sabbath. They would gather uh, in the synagogues that they were allowed to be in, later forming their own. And as the first day of the week began to dawn, they would, they would acknowledge the Sabbath and then uh, confess the resurrection which took place Saturday night in the, That framework, which is technically Sunday, the first day of the week. Over time, that became a confusion. And so we have now Christians who are Sabbatarians. And we have Christians who are Lord's Day people. Uh, Those hinges are still that Saturday night framework. I think as part of our following the Lord, we have to struggle with the meaning of that. Not to judge one another but in order to realize that at least the acknowledgement of the Sabbath is part of what we do. It's why we begin our services on Sunday when we're on Sunday, saying the Sabbath has concluded and we have come to acknowledge the Lord. That's an important thing and our children need to understand that as well. Um, The fifth one, honor thy father and thy mother, is repeated in Ephesians and Colossians by the Apostle Paul. So uh, that one I'm sure you're very familiar with. I'm not going to spend time about that. But it applies to the family roles in the religious home. The children are disciples in the home. The parents are the disciplers. You honor your teacher. You honor the one who is teaching you. And in the context of that, you are a learner. If you dishonor the one who's teaching you, or if they are harsh in their treatment of you, you don't learn. And so it damages that, that, that raising of the children. Now, the second set of commandments are found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, I mean, Exodus 20, I'm sorry. Exodus 20, um, beginning at verse 13. These are quicker to go through. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, Interesting that most of these second set of commandments are simply the word no and then the word. No murder, no adultery, no kidnapping or stealing. Uh, The last one, covet, is expanded out in there. Because the first commandment and the last commandment encompass all of the ten and and more detail is given in those contexts. That's a typical Hebrew way of doing things. So, no murder. We are not to take innocent life. But it's important to understand that it's not just a matter of murder, but it's all things of injury to a person leading up to that, including the hatred of a person. So I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3:15. 1 John chapter 3 John says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Notice that John is addressing the neighbor and the brother in the same context because Judaism sees both of those in the second commandment. But Jesus emphasizes it at the Last Supper uh, for for our understanding. So the hatred of somebody is not how you feel about them. Hatred is to not do. If to love someone... Is to take someone who's thirsty and give them a drink. To hate someone is to take someone who's thirsty and refuse to give them a drink. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? God was going to do for Jacob. He was not going to do for 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 uh, Esau. The idea of love and hate in the Bible is not emotional. It's not how you feel. It's how you act towards the other person. If you do good to them, you are loving them, even if you don't particularly like them. That's how you can love your enemy. On the other hand, if you say, be warmed and filled, you have the ability to help and you don't. And that's what John is saying here. You have the world's goods and and you don't give them to somebody who's in need. How do you say the love of God is in you? That's hate. So it's important to understand that it's, we can't just say, well, I've not murdered anybody, so I've kept that commandment. The keeping of that commandment has all kinds of life uh, attitudes connected to it. The second one is adultery. Uh, this is about the violation of the marriage commitment and the breaking of it. And it, it is usually addressed primarily in the New Testament with regard to divorce. So I want you to look at Mark chapter 10, um, Beginning of verse three, the Bible has words for sexual activity. The word is fornication. Uh, the, adultery is a more narrow framework, specifically related to the marriage issue, and it's it's a, really about maintaining uh, maintaining the marriage. So, in Mark chapter ten, beginning of verse three, we have these words. This is when Pharisees came and asked if if a man could divorce his wife. He said, what does Moses command? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts... He wrote this commandment. In other words, he's protecting the woman in that case. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, the disciples then ask him about it again, because that's a pretty harsh... Statement, and he says, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And so the idea is that this is more about the issue of marriage than it's about the issue of sex. That's there, that's forbidden, but the issue is we need to be looking at all the nuances of these commandments. So that we don't think that one violation allows us to do another violation. So uh, the third, uh, the sixth, seventh, eighth commandment is you shall not steal. Now this word steal is uh, a word that is explained immediately after the Exodus 20 passage. After it says thou shalt not steal. It then says if a man steals a man. In other words, the idea of stealing here is not property. It's stealing a person. It's about freedom and slavery. It's about kidnapping slavery. God forbids kidnap slavery. That's what happened to the Jews in Israel, in Egypt. That's what happened to uh, um, uh, African Americans in America. They were put into slavery against their will. There's another form of slavery where a person temporarily puts themselves in an indentured setting for someone and they come out in better shape. But that's not what this is. This is to do harm to a person's freedom. And so anything that we do where we harm someone's freedom fits into this category. Some of them are just the care of wages. If you have a day laborer and he does his work, you're to pay him before he leaves. You're not supposed to say, I'll pay you next week. Because he's a day laborer. He needs that at that time. If somebody gives you their coat as a a guarantee for a loan, when they come back uh, at night, you're to give it to them so they can sleep in it and then they'll bring it back to you in the morning. In other words, there's a dignity of the human being as a free, autonomous, imago Dei image of God and we're not to violate that With one another. And that would affect employee relationships. And all other kinds of things. Um, So that is specifically understood. In the book of Philemon. Uh, Any chapter. You can go to any chapter of Philemon. Always have trouble finding it. It's right before Hebrews. Go to Hebrews and back up one page. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul is returning a slave, which is forbidden by the Torah. He's returning a slave to his master. But he's not returning him as a slave. He's returning him as a brother. And so Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. He's become a believer. Who formerly was useless to you, but now he's useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart. Whom I wish to keep with me. I want him with me. But on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment. But without your consent, I didn't want to do that. I'm not keeping him, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but out of your own free will. For perhaps he, for this reason, that he was separated for you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh. And in the Lord. You can hear Paul's statement. If you're called a servant. Be a servant. If you may be free. And what Paul's doing is. He's putting the pressure on this guy. This guy's a brother. You're really going to take him back as a slave. So this issue of slavery and freedom. And taking people's time and all of that. Is part of this commandment. Uh, The next one is giving false testimony. You shall not bear false witness. That includes rumors and false accusations, and gossip, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, In James' uh, writings, James chapter 3, at verse 8, James says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same from the same opening fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Salt water produce fresh? In other words, the curbing of our tongue... We are to be careful what we say about other people, what we spread, what rumors we tell, giving people bad uh, um, reputation with other people. And we must be careful not to give a false glowing report on somebody who's not trustworthy. We're, our speech is to be accurate and it is to engender grace and, and peace in that sense. The last of the Ten Commandments there uh, is... Uh, coveting anything that is your neighbor's. In, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus makes it clear that what defiles us, what comes out of our heart, is what defiles us. And in that is all forms of covetousness. That wanting something, the lust of the eyes. Oh, I need that. Oh, they've got that, I need that. That attempt to be... Uh, to have what everyone else has, particularly when it comes to wanting theirs. Now, if somebody's got a new car and you like that car and you like to get one like it, that's okay. But coveting theirs is a different issue. And the idea is about, this one is the one that's really about property. Um, And this is the one that many of you know from my classes. I talk about finding money on the streets. Uh, That's not your money. And uh, the scripture says if you find a sheep or you find something and you don't know whose it is, you take care of it but you don't use it for yourself. Okay? Uh, what we do as Christians is say, oh God gave me a $20 bill, I found it on the ground. No, that was somebody else's $20 bill and you show that you're not covetous, you have, you have sought no one's gold and no, nothing from someone else when you take care of it waiting for or you turn it in to the lost and found, but you don't use it for yourself in that sense. That's that's part of this this notion of, of coveting. Now I've got just about seven minutes left, so let me do this last one. Jesus gave the loved one another and the love one another separates the neighbor and the fellow believer. Uh, somewhat. It it puts a stronger burden. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. So there's a greater level. So the things that we would do for our neighbor, we're to do good to all men, Paul says, but especially those of the household of faith. And so there is a whole series of commandments in the New Testament, about 110 to 115, one another commandments. Now, there's not a third tablet. We have the two commandments, tablets. There's not a third tablet. But I spent a summer, uh, one summer, looking at all the one and other commandments. I wrote them down on three by five cards and then tried to put them into five categories. I technically ended up with seven categories. But I wanted the five to be like the, the first two. So I the second the, the last two actually say two things each, but they're related, so I think I can get by with that. So I'm going to tell you what those are. I'm going to give you uh, a passage on those. In Romans 15, the apostle tells us, so out of the 115, I'm just going to give you the five, but they're the ones I think are critical here. Romans 15, verse 17, the apostle says, That's not my verse. What did I do? Wow. I can't believe I did that. I've been doing that a lot lately where I'm doing them differently. Let's see if it's 1715. No, it can't be because there's no seventeen. Uh, So, what I've done is I've messed myself up. So, let me tell you what it is. You know the text. It's where the apostle says, Therefore, accept one another. That idea of accepting your fellow believer, acknowledging that they are a child of God and they are part of you, that accepting one another in the beloved is really critical Uh, for our understanding. And so the first one I think is about accepting our fellow believer. You can't do good for them if you don't accept them as a fellow believer. The second one is to be of one mind. And that one's found in Romans 12, 16 where he says, be of the same mind towards one another Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This notion of being of one mind is about humility. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Let this mind be in you, the apostle says in Philippians that was in Christ, who was in the form of God, yet didn't think it something to be established to be equal with God, but humbled himself. And then being found in the form of man, he humbled himself even more to the point of death. In other words, humbling ourselves before one another, thinking more of one another than we do of ourselves, is one of the one another commandments. The third one is found in Galatians 5, uh, 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, the idea is that the expansion of the loving your neighbor to loving one another is to do this in in our freedom to serve one another by love. The fourth one, and this is where I've added two together, is that we are to encourage one another and comfort one another. Now, I think encouraging and comforting are related. It's keeping people on track. And so, uh, we see that in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11, he says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. That encouraging one another and building one another up is really important. In Hebrews uh, chapter 3, Verse 13 he says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast from the beginning, the assurance firm to the end. So the idea is that we are to encourage one another. This is why we need congregation and community. This Lone Ranger stuff for Jesus doesn't work. You run out of gas and some are discouraged and others can be encouraging in that sense. So we are to encourage and comfort one another We are to comfort one another with the comfort that we have been given, as 2 Corinthians tells us. The final one is that we are to forgive and restore one another. Along the way, as we encourage one another towards obedience to the Lord, there's going to be disruptions in our relationships. It can be between husband and wife. It can be between parent and child. It can be friend and friend. It can be pastor and, and congregant. It can be pastor and pastor. We, we, all, are, we all have that problem. Relationships are tough. And, they, and you get them fixed. You think you got them fixed and they fall apart again. And little things can do damage. And big things can do damage. So we are always to be restoring relationships and forgiving one another. In Galatians chapter 6, the apostle gives us that instruction. He says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore that one in a spirit of gentleness. That is that humility again. Looking to your own self so that you won't also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ that loving one another is bearing one another's those who are strong bear the infirmities of the weak we are constantly to be trying to reconcile relationships blessed are the peacemakers the lord says and in second corinthians the apostle talks about this in chapter 2 verse 7 when he says on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. Now what is he talking about? We know this one. This is the man who was kicked out for a gross sexual sin. He was removed from the community. He was delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. It wasn't done to be punitive. It was done to be Redemptive, And now that he has broken, now that he has turned back to the Lord, now that he is in obedience, we are to comfort him and encourage him so he won't be discouraged. One of the things that happens when a person really comes to know their own sin, they have trouble letting go of that. For so long they denied it. And everybody else is trying to get them to acknowledge it. And they just can't do it. And finally they acknowledge it. And then it really is hard for them to let go. And they need the assurance. They need the encouragement. They need the comfort. that you Yes, you broke the commandment, but now you're walking in the commandment. And we're right back and we're cleansed and we're, we're accepted of the Lord and you're back in with us as well. That needs to be part of this thing. So we are to... Accept one another in the beloved. We are to be of one mind, a mind of humility. We are to, by love, serve one another. We are to encourage and comfort one another. And we are to forgive and restore one another. This, I believe, are those five commandments uh, to go with the categories of the loving one another. By loving God, we become holy and identified with him. By loving our neighbor, we manifest righteousness to God and to others. In loving one another, we show our unity, the unity of God and Christ, and we show ourselves to be true disciples of Jesus. This is the religion of our faith. this is how we understand love as the fulfillment of the Torah and the heart of the gospel and so what we 're going to do from here is we 're going to begin to look at the primary spiritual disciplines that build our our biblical worldview. And then help us to uh, be good stewards of the gifting that God has given us. Let's pray.